Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to This Day in History class, where we flip through the book of history and bring you a new page every day. The day was May 3rd, 1913. The film Raja Harishchandra, directed by Dada Saheb Palke, was released theatrically at the Coronation Cinematograph and Variety Hall in Mumbai, then called Bombay, in India. The silent film, which is based on the legend of the Indian king Harishchandra, is considered by many to be the first full-length Indian feature film. Whether it can rightfully claim that title is debated, but it stands that the film was a box office success that encouraged a proliferation of Indian productions. When Palke was a teenager, he joined the Sir J.J. School of Art, studying photography, architecture, lithography, and other art forms. He went on to work as a painter, set designer, and a photographer. In the early 1900s, he and a partner started a printing press. That was successful, but difficulties between partners led Palke to cut ties with the business. But in April of 1911, he went to see the silent film The Life of Christ by director Alice Guy Blachet at a theater in Mumbai. That was the spark that ignited his interest in creating a film. He began watching more movies and studying film. In 1912, Palke went to London to learn filmmaking from British filmmaker Cecil Hepworth. He bought a Williamson camera, ordered film and a perforator, and went back to India after only a couple of weeks in London. When he arrived in India, he founded Palke Films Company. The initial capital he got for the company came from a loan he took out against his insurance policy. His family and friends staffed the company, and his wife took on management and technical roles. That same year, Palke began the work of writing Raja Harishchandra and casting the film. He did the direction, production design, and editing, while Trimbak V. Talong operated the camera. Filming took nearly seven months, and the film was about four reels long. It was first screened in April 1913 to a special audience at the Olympia Theater in Mumbai. Weeks later, on May 3, 1913, Raja Harishchandra had his theatrical release. The film was shown as part of a program including Irene Del Mar in a duet and dance number, a comedy sketch by the McClements, Alexandrov the Wonderful Foot Juggler, and Tip Top Comics. It had an all-male cast, since working in film was not considered completely acceptable work for women at the time. Raja Harishchandra ran for 23 days and had a rerun soon after. As Palke promoted the film and news of it spread, it proved a success. Palke went on to produce and direct more films, like Lanka Dahan and Sri Krishna Janma. In 1918, Palke Films Company folded, and Palke established the Hindustan Cinema Films Company with several partners. But as the film industry got bigger and talkies became more popular, Palke's work faded from the limelight. He retired from the film industry in the 1930s, and he died in 1944. 
Palke is now considered the father of Indian cinema. But many people say that the silent film Sri Pundalik, directed by Dada Saheb Torne, deserves recognition as the first Indian film. The 45-minute film was released on May 18, 1912, at the Coronation Cinematograph. Many people do not consider Sri Pundalik eligible for the title because of a few technicalities. First, the film was a recording of a popular Marathi play using a single fixed camera. Second, the cameraman who filmed the play was British. Third, the film was processed in London, so the negatives of the film reel stayed in the UK and Tournay could only get the positives to India. This reasoning for not giving Tournay recognition is controversial. Tournay's sons have even filed a public interest litigation to claim Tournay is the pioneer of Indian cinema, to get negatives of the film from the UK, and to recognize Sri Pundalik as the first Indian film. But the government of India still considers Raja Harishchandra the first. In 1969, the Indian government created the Dada Saheb Palke Award, which is awarded annually to recognize artists' contributions to Indian cinema. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back tomorrow for more delicious morsels of history. Hi everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that really believes in learning something new every day. The day was May 3rd, 1868. The Edo period in Japan ended and the Meiji Restoration began. Before the Edo period, Japan went through a time known as the Sengoku period, or Warring States period. At the time, the Ashikaga shogun capital was at Heiankyo, or present-day Kyoto. The Sengoku period was a turbulent one of political upheaval and civil war, when rival warlords, or daimyo, fought for control over Japan. The daimyo led armies of thousands of samurai and others willing to defend their estates. Oda Nobunaga, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and Tokugawa Ieyasu are remembered as Japan's three unifiers, as they contributed to the unification of Japan. After Ieyasu won the Battle of Sekigahara in 1600, the Tokugawa shogunate began. In 1603, Emperor Goyozei gave Tokugawa Ieyasu the title of shogun, or military governor. He established the capital at Edo, or modern-day Tokyo. This marked the start of the Edo period, also known as the Tokugawa period, in Japan. Ieyasu set to work on re-establishing order and control in Japan and encouraged foreign trade. Daimyo were allowed to keep their autonomy if they swore fealty to the Tokugawa house. They were, however, required to spend half their time in Edo. Land was redistributed among the daimyo, with more loyal vassals getting more strategically important domains. The Tokugawa regime also enforced the suppression of Christianity in Japan. When Ieyasu stepped down from his official position as shogun in 1605, his son, Tokugawa Hidetara, took his place. 
He retired to Sunpu Castle in modern-day Shizuoka, but he was still involved in politics. Toyotomi Hideyori, Toyotomi Hideyoshi's son, remained as the last significant threat to Ieyasu's rule. In 1615, Ieyasu captured Osaka Castle and brought it into the rival Toyotomi clan. The next 250 years or so were marked by relative peace, and the Edo period was characterized by stability, economic growth, and population growth. But that's not to say the rest of the Edo period was completely void of conflict. The Tokugawa regime also enforced the suppression of Christianity in Japan, and some parts of Japan enjoyed more prosperity while others were hit with famines. But the Edo period paved the way for contemporary Japanese culture. Commercial and diplomatic relations remained open with Korea and the Ryukyu Kingdom, and trade with the Chinese and the Dutch was allowed at the port of Nagasaki. But the shogunate did restrict contact with Europe. It also banned almost all travel abroad and foreign books. Still, domestic trade, agricultural production, and the arts flourished. But natural disasters, famine, the breakdown of the social hierarchy, corruption, financial crises, and social unrest led to the decline of the Tokugawa shogunate. In the 1850s, Japan began opening up ports to the West for limited international trade. Anti-government sentiment grew, and many people demanded the restoration of direct imperial rule. The domains of Choshu and Satsuma worked together to overthrow the last shogun. The power of the shogunate was handed over to a new emperor. On May 3, 1868, Edo Castle fell to imperial forces. The Edo period ended, and Edo was renamed Tokyo. The Meiji Restoration, the period that restored imperial rule under Emperor Meiji, began. The Meiji era, which ended in 1912, saw rapid political, social, and economic change. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions or any ideas for the show, you can hit us up on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast. You can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.